it's really interesting to put myself then in there as the artist who's made this object because then they kind of don't want to talk about it. But then once I start telling them my story behind the physical pieces or the spaces I've created, then they want to talk about it. They want to tell me about their history of who they are and how these social things that are happening in our environments affect them every single day. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 112th episode, Naomi Schliesman joins the podcast from Minnesota, where she lives and works in Fergus Falls. She talks a great deal about her sculptural work, as well as her installations, the way that it relates to the human body. And we also spent a great deal of time talking about how family influences her work and the general community she contributes to. So it's a really interesting interview. We do want to remind you before we get to it that our 2014 competition is coming to a close. Once again, the deadline, May 31st. We're currently accepting applications from BA, BFA graduates, MA, MFA graduates, and professional artists. Once again, three categories and three winners in each category will be featured on Studio Break. So again, a total of nine artists will be featured on Studio Break. And once again, we are going to be hooking up those artists, or at least some of them, with a show. So if you are interested in a solo exhibition, one lucky winner from each of those categories will be set up with a show. Once again, the spaces are going to be the Peoria Art Guild, Jan Brandt Gallery, and Demo Project. If you'd like more information, please go to studiobreak.com and check out our competition page. You'll find all the information that you need there. And, of course, if there's any questions, please feel free to ask us. It's a pretty straightforward process. And our juror this year, Richard Holland from the Bad at Sports podcast. So please get those applications in and let's see your work. Just a reminder, those new to Studio Break, we are a podcast and blog site. We feature a variety of different artists that come on and discuss their work in these lengthy, in-depth interviews. You hear them straight from their own voice, so please check them all out. Again, each of those entries have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and you can also go to iTunes and download them there. Once again, now we are over 100, about 112 with this episode, so please check them all out. There's a lot of great interviews to be had. Of course, if you'd like, you can share it with your favorite social network. If you're still on Facebook, some of you I know are. We can also follow us on Twitter at Studio Break, and you can also follow us on Tumblr, that's Studio-Break. So please check it out, and please, of course, share it if you know anybody that would be interested in listening to it. All right, here's our interview with Naomi. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm here this morning with... Naomi Sleishman, thanks again for, for taking the time to chat with me this morning. We've already been talking about technology and all these other things, so it'll be nice to kind of delve into uh, your studio work. I always kind of like to get a backstory on, on people, so if you could talk a little bit about uh, where you're from, and we can kind of go from there and delve into that. Wonderful, and thank you, David, for um, actually taking the time to do this interview with me. I'm excited because we have sunshine today, so I'm in a good mood, (laughs) which is great. I am originally from Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Um, It is a small community just east of Fargo, North Dakota. Our population is about 13,000 with a lot of small 
rural communities surrounding us with farmers. And I have had the privilege to grow up in this great community that I have fallen in love with ever since I was a little girl. And growing up in the community, I actually attended um, Our Lady of Victory Catholic School and attended the school there from kindergarten up to sixth grade. And as I was attending that school, when I was in kindergarten, I was actually already drawing in 3D. And my uh, kindergarten teacher and my first grade teacher actually noticed this and did a lot of special art projects based um, around what I was able to do. Mm -hmm. My first grade teacher, um, Gail Welly, actually has my first sketchbook (laughs) that I've ever completed. And I'm really curious if she still has it um, because I'd love to see, you know, my first sketches as being a child. And with me growing up here, my father has always been a construction worker. And then my mom has always been into fashion. Um, she was actually accepted to go to a fashion school in Paris, but my, I'm sorry, my father and my mother um, got pregnant with me at a very young age. They were 20 when they had me. And they have always been very supportive of me being involved in the arts and with my creativity. Um, and so with my mom being in fashion, I've always been in, in the now of what's happening, what seasons uh for the color for fashion, what's the new hype. And then with my dad, I've always been able to hang out with him and actually remodel homes that we moved from place to place growing up as a child. And we would actually tear down walls, build new walls, and then we would paint and redecorate these homes. And so for me, I've always had this transition of moving into an actual space and then remodeling it and redesigning it to something that is new. And then my parents were actually flippers back then when we didn't even know that they were flippers. And then my grandfather is a furniture maker and a farmer. So when he um, is not in the fields in the wintertime, he has actually made furniture for everyone in our family. And then his wife, um, who I am named after, Ramona Lehman, because I was born on her birthday. She's a very special lady to me because she was a nurse and also a seamstress. And um, I used to watch her actually cut out patterns for clothing that she would make for all the grandkids and then also other kids in the community of Campbell Tinta, Minnesota. Um, And so watching her cut out patterns and sewing them together is actually how I learned about how to make actual 3D objects and then working with my grandfather and my father in their wood shops as well. So I've had a huge background of the arts and being able to make things. So I've always been a maker since I was a little girl. And I've never been afraid of tools or exploring new ways of making physical objects and actually thinking about the physical space that I surround myself with. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. And it, of course, it pertains to kind of something that we were just talking about peripheral to this, which is, you know, working with your hands and, and problem solving and, you know, kind of having that sense of maybe wonder about doing something and not knowing how to do it and then figuring it out. So it's it seems like, you know, that was a huge part of it, you know, and something that, you know, in terms of uh, the information on your website as well, you talk a great deal about the importance of that. Is that something then that you always pursued all these kind of creative outlets? Most definitely. 
because I've been so aware of the physical space that surrounds me and uh, the ornamentation. I am attracted to buildings that have more of the Gothic style, also the Baroque period, especially the Rococo, um, has been a huge influence for making because of how the craftsmanship of those time periods have fascinated me. And then also being brought up uh, Catholic um, and being able to go to cathedrals and my family's farm that is in Tinta, where my grandfather still lives, they actually base their home around a traditional Catholic home where you walk into an entryway and then there's the mud room and a place to hang up your clothes. And then right away when you walk into the first part of the home, that is the formal dining room area that has flocked wallpaper. And then it has also copper um, ceiling tiles above it that has ornamentation. Um, and then from there, you go into the traditional kitchen with the informal dining room. And above that table is actually a painting of the Last Supper that is eight feet long and it is three feet high and it's painted on black velvet with all these bright colors. And I have ate multiple meals and have grown up underneath that painting. Um, and just having the texture and the quality of that has been a, a huge influence of having that in my life and being able to enjoy artwork. And then my grandfather making the furniture to furnish their home having that, those physical objects around me and being able to touch the wood and the fabric that he's used to decorate it has been a huge influence on how I look at work and how I create work. And the funniest thing is, is in the living room there, right above um, the flat screen TV that he has now is a painting um, of Jesus. So I have an image, actually, of them watching football um, on a Sunday afternoon where we had a family get-together, and there's Jesus right above the television with a football game on. Right, right. And so it's there's been this interesting dialogue that's been around me my whole entire life of having beautiful objects and also institutions have been a huge part of my life, being religion and then also... Um, in my family, we have a lot of problems with illnesses and also cancer. And they are actually getting that information now from um, universities and studies. My family has grown up. There's been a lot of pesticides um, that has been used on actual crops. And then also spraying that has happened where we've already seen how insects, has, insects have evolved where these pesticides don't work anymore. And it's actually has caused genetic problems within my family of developing cancer. Um, also, lupus is really prevalent in my family. And we are aware of all this and, all of, and we all know, you know what has been in our surroundings, in our environment. So I've been highly aware of what surrounds me. I guess I would say I have more of like a hyper-realism of what surrounds me because of growing up with all these tactile objects and then also with having to deal with hospitalization of family members and also family members dying from illnesses and diseases. Um, so that's been a huge part of my work and something that I've always thought of. 
And I actually wanted to become a nurse as well, like my grandmother, but I cannot stand the sight of blood. It makes me queasy, but I found it through watching her make physical objects that people can wear and cutting out patterns to fit these physical bodies that, you know, she made these garments um, that people wear and even blankets that she would make to comfort them and give them warmth and make them feel important and to, you know, even give them a sense of belonging or even a sense of realizing that they are important as a human being. That's been a huge influence as well. I could talk for hours about this, of how my family has really shaped me into the person that I am and to really care about um, people who surround me and also my community and the physical buildings that are in our communities because it talks about who we are as a community, how we build things and construct things and shape a community. I like that idea about thinking about how you're connected to a place. And certainly I, I think the, the, that personal level is really interesting too because, you know, like we were talking about earlier what the, the differences are between growing up now and maybe in an age where, you know, you can remember when they didn't have an internet. So it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, how hands-on that was. Um, did you have a lot of art classes or formal art training? The courses that I was very strong and interested in were art classes and also science classes. Um, and for me... You know, art is a type of science, and also art is a type of religion for me as well, where it's something that I believe in. And so as I was growing up, even from being a little kid, um, my mom would say when I would be finger painting or using my building blocks, she would always see that there is this imagination that was just there, and I've always been a dreamer. And I've always had high expectations for myself and people who are in my life to always have things around them that make them happy or that they feel is beautiful because with where I've lived with a carpenter being my dad and my mom being in fashion and my grandfather being a woodworker and my grandmother making clothing, I've always had this sense of making things. So for me, you know, they were my mentors and my teachers as I was growing up as a child. And then when I got into the school system, you know, I would always take those art classes and they would see that that's where I was accelerating and doing really well. And so they would always modify certain things for me where I could, you know, do drawings where other kids couldn't draw in 3D at that time, but they kept things interesting for me. Um, And as I went into high school, I still stuck with taking all the art classes that I could. I was very interested in biology um, and also chemistry. Um, And my teacher saw this, and I've had a lot of mentors growing up in high school as well. And one of my biggest ones was uh, Mr. Blondeau. His name is Tom Blondeau. He has passed away, Um, but he was a great supporter of me in high school and gave me certain assignments where I was challenged to make objects and do drawings and paintings where he would tell me, you know, this is something that is natural for you. Um, I will fully support you on this. And he would even curate certain exhibitions where I could show my work in the high school. And he was a huge influence for me to continue on my art career. 
when I was looking at going to college and he told me, you know, the sky's the limit. This is what you should be doing. And by having that confidence from other people believing in me and also having that training and learning the techniques from my family members and also my teachers, it just made me realize that, yes, you know, I am capable of doing this. And it was a passion for me, and it still is a passion for me. It drives me every morning when I wake up. After I was in high school, I went on to undergrad at the Minnesota State University in Moorhead, where I received my BA and my BFA. Um, and I just fell in love with sculpture um, because I've I've always been, you know, involved with uh, painting and drawing. And but for me, sculpture is a way for me to express myself to actually use mixed media. And my main influence is installation. And I know that's for me growing up and moving from home to home and actually tearing down walls and building new ones and redesigning these physical spaces that surround me and using the color to paint the walls and using certain trim for ornamentation. These are all things that have influenced me and has made me realize that this is what I want to do. And so I continued on um, with my education after I received my BFA in sculpture from Minnesota State University in Moorhead. I actually started a co-op with um, two other colleagues of mine who I graduated with. One gentleman's name is John Berry, who's a painter, and then uh, James Wilberg, who is a ceramicist. And we looked at buildings in the Fargo-Moorhead area to start up an artist co-op because we all knew that we needed the space to make our work because anyone can make their work in their home, but we needed the physical actual space and to surround ourselves with other creative people. And so we finally found a old storefront on downtown Broadway. And then on the backside of it, it was a big warehouse. And we started renting out this space and did a lot of repairs to it and set up studio spaces for all three of us. And, there was the ceramic space and the sculpture area, and then John had his painting area as well. And it was not only a space for us, but it was also a place for us to go and to talk and meet with other people and discuss what was going on. We actually called the space the Robert Street Studio. It is still active in Fargo um, because after I graduated from Minnesota State University in Moorhead in 2004, I stayed in the Fargo-Moorhead area for almost two years, and I decided that I wanted to pursue my career in the arts, and I applied to um, areas for graduate school. To make a long story short, I actually fell in love with the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I received a full ride there with assistantships, and I studied at UW-Madison from 2000. six until 2009, where I received my master's in fine arts with a sculpture emphasis. Um, And when I was at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, my project assistantship that I had was where um, I was actually in charge of the metal and wood shops there and was in charge of maintaining the equipment, ordering equipment, and also showing the students how to use the equipment and also the faculty. And I was also a project assistantship to um, Aristotle Georgiatis, and um, I worked with him um, for the sculpture classes and learned a lot from him as well. And I was able to work with him and his wife as well in their studio, which 
is outside of Madison, and they have their own company called Actual Size Artworks, and they make public um, art pieces that they show nationally, and I was able to work with them in their studio and also to work with them on projects, applying for art projects, and making models. So I've just always surrounded myself with people who have always been in the art world and have always been making something. And for me, that's really important because that's who I am and that's where I make an effort to make sure that that's where I, I, I keep my focus on and also give other artists resources and love to collaborate with other artists as well, which I have done my whole entire career. Um, there's multiple projects that I've worked on uh, nationwide with other artists for installations and also community projects. And so I've, I've always known that I was an artist. I think the fascination of being a nurse was just the physical object of the body because for me the skin is like the exterior of a building and how the building inside has all these beautiful different organisms and the vein system the nerve system it makes me think of how a physical building has electricity running through it plumbing for water and we decorate the interior of a building to be the way that we want it and how we physically take care of our body is how our bodies will physically take care of us so that we can be mobile and that we can physically make things. And for me, the blood is scary because of it being essential for us to live. This is a little phobia that I have because I think where I've dealt with death so much in my family, that blood is the living source for us to live and who we are. And so I think there's a little bit of fear inside of me of that's why I have such a phobia with it. Um, but to me, a lot of times in my artwork, blood is a huge uh, presence in my work. Um, by working with these large splatter pieces that I've created where I've done installations in um, certain institutions and also out in the public um, to see how people react to them. And when I do do those installations, I actually hide and don't let people know that the artist is there. And I actually document what people are saying and how they react to these installations. And it's just fascinating how people will talk about the work or even interact with the work because a lot of my work has a lot of tactile quality to it where there's this tension where you want to touch it. But with it being an actual art piece, people don't know how to react to it because they know they're not supposed to touch it, but they really want to touch it. And so all of this together has really cycled where I've been really starting to realize that with my grandmother being a seamstress, a lot of my work is made out of shapes where I've watched her cut out patterns. And so for me, where I do my installations, a lot of my work is based on creating patterns of um, making silhouettes of historical buildings from my area, Fergus Falls, or from my studies where I've gone abroad to study art from Italy, Ireland, Scotland, England, France, and looking at these buildings and creating these installations where I use color as well to get the attention of the viewer. And that's been based from learning about design from my mom and fashion and using color to make it interesting to visually look at and then creating these objects in uh, 3D 
um, either cascading off the wall or being in the physical space itself or even building rooms or walls um, has been a huge influence from my dad of him teaching me how to frame out a wall or how to put up drywall. So with having the formal education through you know, elementary school, high school, and undergrad and graduate school, and even the people that I surround myself with, I believe that I've had the formal and informal training of an artist and how to be an artist. Again, it's it's really interesting um, just hearing all these different facets to it because here it seems like there's this is something that you definitely have um, thought about, you know, too. I mean, something that you're very conscious of, you know, and it's, it's interesting because I look, I, when I think about my coming to the arts, it might've been a little bit more stumbling. I don't know. Like, like, I feel like in, in a certain way, just like, I don't know, being in an environment where you're constantly immersed with kind of making things and, and adapting things. I don't know. It's just, it seems really interesting in terms of, um, you know, the, you've been talking about a little bit about the family history of illness and, and, you know, your, your interest in, in science and, and medicine. Is that something that that also kind of influenced the way that you adapted your work as you you know studied it in in school? I mean, are there different information that you like to access that has kind of really fed into your work and the way that you think about it? The body to me is an architecture. It is a physical object that we decorate physically on the outside and then internally is what really drives us of who we are, how we think with our cognitive thinking, even um how we take care of our body by the food that we eat or the environment that we surround ourselves in. So when I have had certain family members who have had illnesses or even cancer, that's where I go into my science books, my biology books, and I research about cell structure. I research about how certain organisms can attack us as a host and live off of our body and completely change our genetic makeup where cancer can develop or other diseases that can develop. For my family, it's it's lupus. It's also leukemia, also breast cancer, um, ovarian cancer, and colon cancer. These are all things that I have researched. And not only that, by researching in books, I also go online and look at new studies of other people who have done research on these certain diseases or cancers that my family has had or are dealing with right now. My mother, who has a systemic lupus right now, and it's attacking um, the valve of her heart, and um, she has had to retire at an early age. She is 55 years old, and she had to retire three years ago because her body just can't physically handle it. Um, And we've been going to the Mayo Clinic um, in southern Minnesota, where they are taking great care and consideration with her and using certain drugs to help suppress the lupus that is attacking her heart Um, and being able to go down to the Mayo Clinic and to research with their team and have these meetings with them. I call them meetings, but they're office visits. But she has a team of people who work with her and they explain everything in detail. And when I get that information, I go back to my studio space, and that's where I do more research about looking at these organisms, what they look like, because they're actually beautiful in and of itself, but the danger that they have of affecting our body or killing off certain organisms in our body is 
really sad, but also fascinating at the same time. And I actually have a friend in uh, the Fargo area who just received this amazing um, microscope that actually takes photographs. And I'm going to be getting that from him to do a new body of work that I'm going to be working on where I can take actual samples and magnify it, where I can take photographs. And I don't really know a lot about it yet because it's so new, but I feel that this is going to be a new way to actually do research about the body, about certain cell structures, taking things from my environment and blowing them up underneath this microscope and taking photographs of them. And then I know from that, I'm going to be creating these new objects that to me are beautiful, but at the same time, I know cause havoc to people, can also cause death or make them ill. So for me, it's something that is a constant thing that's in the back of my head and that I worry about for my mom as well, but it's a way for me to deal with it and also to learn more about it, to understand more of the problems or relationship to the environment that we live in. And I think the thing that's interesting about that is that that kind of direct correlation, it makes me wonder too more about that process. So if you're, if you are researching something and you're kind of, you know, back in the studio, kind of working through some ideas, do you kind of start off with uh, drawings? Do you start off with just making things and, you know, thinking about, you know, what kind of physical materials you might use to really work out some of these ideas? The physical materials that I use in my installations or my sculptures or even my uh, drawings where I actually do embroidery on top of them to create this layer of feeling or create something that has texture to it. Because when I physically look at these organisms that are in our body being parasites, cells, or even deformities that are happening by cysts growing, these are all physical objects that are growing in our bodies, but we can't see them. But when we magnify them underneath a microscope, we can see a two-dimensional aspect of what they look like. And so for me, when I'm in my studio and I'm looking at these images, that's where I'll start out with drawing um, in 3D of what I feel they look like and my personal connection with them through my family members or friends who have had to deal with these objects, I'm going to call them, in their physical being. And from those drawings, then, that's where I start to think about the material that I want to use being wood, glass, plastic, plaster, even my fibers, um, and how I can start to create this physical object in the round or in an installation to get the point across where I am using these bright, vibrant colors and these tactile materials that hopefully will draw the viewer in where they look, you know, they're happy, they're gorgeous, they're beautiful to look at, but deep down inside, there is this underlying presence of something that is deadly, something that, you know, could possibly harm you. And so for me, where I get the architecture of a building and with the body, that's how I correlate everything in together and use my imagination and my own personal experiences of dealing with these spaces and these problems to kind of create these objects and spaces that talks about these issues that I know everyone is dealing with being because we all are human beings and at some point in our lives, we are going to die 
and being by natural causes or being by cancer or other diseases, these are things that people need to face every single day. And so for me, this is a way for me to research them and to talk about them and to share my own personal experiences where other people can have a relationship to the installations or sculptures that I'm making to have a realization of, yes, these things surround us on a daily basis and these issues are important topics for us to talk about, but to give them a little bit of a humor aspect to them where they have the bright colors and they are inviting for you to look at with the different materials that I'm using being velvet or fleece or even a certain design on a piece of fabric or creating out a certain silhouette that reminds you of a building from your community. These are all things that I think about when I'm in my studio creating these personal objects or spaces. Well, one thing that's really interesting too, and maybe this is something that could be overarching in, in some of the things that you've been talking about, but you know, especially there, there are a lot of soft forms and, you know, you see them, you know, sometimes interacting with something or sometimes interacting, you know, with the structure of, of the room or interior, which, again, I don't know, to me, kind of all feeds back to a lot of the things that you're talking about on a personal level. And I think that's very interesting. You know, I, as, as you're talking about that, I'm, I'm writing down, you know, like you're kind of seeing these things that are kind of normally unseen and kind of putting them in a context where people can kind of. I don't know, think about them. And again, they might not know immediately what this is about. I think that's one, one thing that's interesting is that there's some some aspects of the work that are very straightforward then, um, or not straightforward, but like ones that you think of more as an object as opposed to maybe some of the the ones that you might walk into and and really kind of take on like a physical, you know, relationship, like my body relates to this this thing. You know, what is that relationship? <laughs> Do you think that there's um, like specific modes that you kind of work in in terms of like you have a you maybe have a space that you're going to set something up in and and allow people to kind of react? Do the pieces change depending on the venue? I will go to the venue, um, being a gallery um, or being a uh, institution or even a public piece that's outside. That's where I go and I look at the actual environment that it's in, how it's structurally built and how I can use those aesthetics to talk to my work. Because when you said that like these are unseen objects and um, these are also personal things that people don't want to talk about. Um, because when people are ill or when they don't feel well, they're more vulnerable. Um, they feel that they're not a strong person. And for me, also the physical aspect of it, you can see that on their physical body, but also mentally. These are things that you know we don't really want to talk about or we really don't want to face in everyday today life but these are things that surround us every single day and these are topics that we do need to talk about because these are environments in which we live in and where we're going to thrive as human beings or you know nature will take over and there could be other things that could be happening so for me with the unseen i also like to tap into our cognitive thinking of how human beings actually set things off to the side in their brain or in the back of their brain where they really don't want to think about it, but they are actually thinking about it. And when I create these physical spaces where I adjust the lighting, I have you know certain colors that I'm choosing for my objects or spaces that I'm in, these are all things that I'm trying to trigger in their brain, their sight, 
the actual feeling of a hotter light because it changes the temperature in the room. Or even when I've built physical rooms within rooms and you physically walk into that, it does take you to a different area, I want to say, and also a space in your mind, I feel, because it's making you think about where you're physically stepping into or what you're physically looking at. And right away, a lot of people don't really understand my own personal feelings behind my work or what drives me to do my work. But once they read the artist statement, they can see how these are personal um, things that I've dealt with um, myself and through my family and friends and who I am as an artist. And it's molded who I am as a maker and a creator. And once they actually realize what the work is about, they'll have their own personal thoughts and also feelings that happens with the work. And that's why when I do installations and actually do projects out in public or in a gallery space, I like to kind of disguise myself and I usually will wear a hat and just wear normal street clothes. And I will listen to what people are talking about and listen to how they feel about something. And then once, you know, they've kind of talked about it, that's where I'll go and have a conversation with them. And it's really interesting to put myself then in there as the artist who's made this object because then they kind of don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But then once I start telling them my story behind the physical pieces or the spaces I've created, then they want to talk about it. They want to tell me about their history of who they are and how these social things that are happening in our environments affect them every single day. Well, and it's interesting. I would imagine that you hear a lot of different a lot of different stories and a lot of different, you know, reactions to your work. Are there any that kind of just stick out to you in your mind? I don't know. It'd be, it'd be interesting to hear one. No, I can tell you a couple of them. Actually, two of them that really stick out in my mind is um, when I was living in Madison, Wisconsin, um, it was after graduate school, I started taking my sculptural pieces that are cutout forms um, and then I would upholster them with velvet fabric um, so it had this nice tactile quality to them. And I actually went up to the Poets Square, which is just right off of the Capitol there. And I set out this installation where it looked like two very large blood drops with little splatters off to the side. And I placed it underneath a tree in this Poets Square. And I just kind of sat back and I was watching people's reaction to them. And there was this little kid that came up to it and was just looking at it and looking up at the tree and looking back down and then looked up at the sky and then turned to um, the mother and said, Mom, a great big tomato fell out of the sky and splattered all over the sidewalk. How cool is that? And then that same day, there was an older lady who came up on the piece, and she kind of looked around. She looked over each shoulder, and she inspected the piece itself because it was sitting on the ground, and she started to caress it kind of. And then the next thing she did is she knelt down on it and started praying. And... I was just amazed by that, um, and I, I didn't want to interrupt her, and I just watched her um, do her little prayer session that she had, and she just got up and walked away, and I was just baffled by that. 
And then one of the other interesting things was is that when I had my solo show at the Cadets, which uh, the title of the exhibition was called Form, where they let me go into the gallery space and I completely painted silhouette of certain buildings that have influence in our community of Fergus Falls. And then also when I've traveled abroad to Italy, Scotland, and Ireland and painted these forms on the back of the wall. And then I created wooden forms that started to build out off of those structures. And then I had these half built wooden steeple frames and then out of it are my sewn pieces, my fiber pieces that are growing out of it. And um, this little kid walked into the gallery and walked up to the pieces and actually started shaking and screaming because she was so excited by this physical object and wanted to touch it. And that to me was just like, there was an excitement that happened where she saw this texture, this quality and these colors that attracted her to them. And then I let her, you know, touch them. And it was just interesting how she petted them and she referred to them as stuffed animals. Mm -hmm. So it's just for me, it's interesting to see the reactions that I get from people and how they react to the work. It's really interesting that idea of, being able to touch it and, and how that might, you know, inform someone's experience differently. And, and, you know, again, all these stories, I mean, it's really interesting to think about how, how people will react to something differently. I actually did an installation of myself where I did a performance in graduate school at UW-Madison where for six months um, I started recording how people would react to me where I hired someone to cut and dye my hair um, every four to six weeks. I started using my bathroom in my home as my studio space for my body as a physical object, where I would use fingernail clippers to trim my fingernails, my toenails. Also, I was uh, taking the calluses off my feet because with being a sculptor, you're constantly on your feet, you're working, you're doing things. And I took these personal times to reshape my body and used makeup as you would use paint to paint a canvas to paint my face. And I started documenting how people would give me compliments for those six months. And no one had any idea that I was doing this documentation and was doing this on purpose and was dressing myself with ornamentation being jewelry, necklaces, and earrings to make myself be more appealing to the viewer's eye. And then also choosing certain types of clothing uh, to dress myself, be in the color or style that I was wearing. And then there was this opening at the university in the gallery um, up on the seventh floor. And um, I just told them that I just needed a pedestal set out in the gallery space. And I actually took photographs of my bathroom where I left nothing hidden. I showed all of the actual tools that I used to reshape my physical body and to make myself more appealing to the viewer. And then I had those photographs on display, and then I had a round pedestal. So when the opening started, I actually walked into the gallery just in a very simple black dress, and I stood on the pedestal. And in the statement, I asked people to physically critique me. And I stood on the pedestal for over three hours. Um, I would not make eye contact with the viewer. And I also was doing a, a meditation of controlling my breathing. So it was very low and shallow so that I actually looked like a statue. And when people would talk to me, I wouldn't respond. And for me, removing 
the physical, not the physical, but the personal Naomi Sleeshman out of the aspect and making me into an object. It was fascinating to have people talk about the artwork with me being present, being myself. I had people who actually touched my butt. I had someone who physically smelt my armpits. I had someone tell me that the calluses on my feet were ugly and that I needed to work on that. I even had some female walk up to me and she told me her daily routine and it took her three hours each morning to get ready because she would physically shave every aspect on her body and then she would take the time to put on her makeup and do her hair. And this female actually started crying because she had this experience with me being as an object that was being judged by the viewer of where people thought that, you know, I was aesthetically pleasing or not pleasing to the eye. And she physically broke down and I wanted to get off of that pedestal and I wanted to give her a hug. But at the same time, those are the reactions that I wanted to hear from people, those real reactions. And then another one that stood out to me was a father um, who came up to me and he kind of looked over both shoulders and got close to me and started explaining to me, he goes, you have no idea how I understand what you're trying to say, especially with being a female in society today and how you, your physical appearance is and how we judge females all the time. And he said, I know that my own daughter, who is in high school, deals with us on a daily basis. And he just said, thank you. And he walked away. So there are a lot of things where I've put myself out there personally and with my personal stories in my work, I feel that it will actually trigger things in people to talk, to have an experience or to explain something that has happened to them that's relevant to the piece. You know, I, I was just saying too, I mean, it's amazing how quickly time goes by and, and especially, you know, it's it's so interesting, you know, the the differences between seeing something you know, online and then, and then, you know, talking to somebody about it again, it's, it's really fascinating. I wish, uh, I wish, uh, you know, there was a format, uh, that I could just immediately jump to three hours, but I think, uh, I think listenership could maybe, I don't know, potentially disappear. So what, what things are coming up for you in terms of, uh, maybe some studio work and then, you know, maybe in terms of what's going on with Springboard? We have a lot of things coming up um, here at Springboard in the next year. Um, and then also with my studio practice, I have a lot of things that are happening and progressing in my studio as well. Um, I have one exhibition uh, that is from Minnesota State University of Moorhead, which was an alumni invitational, where I will have two uh, new sculpture pieces that I'm working on out of metal and also with fiber and light. Um, and that exhibition is going to be up um, at the Rollindale Center for the Arts at MSUM, uh, August 25th through uh, October 8th. And then also um, with Springboard for the Arts, we've been working on Imagine Fergus Falls, which is an um, event that happened last September where we had our kickoff event where we had artists, also bands, up on the Kirkbride building, um, which is formerly known as the Regional Treatment Center here in Fergus Falls. Um, it is a huge treatment center that was built in the early 1800s and was 
a treatment center for people with mental illnesses where they lived. And they actually lived up there where it was a city in and of itself, where they had their own gardens, their own agricultural fields, and also farm animals, a bakery. Everything you can imagine was up there, even a greenhouse. And the building was closed um, in the early 2000s, and our city has been working on trying to find a way to keep this building in the community and it has such a physical presence for stories of people in the community and also a physical place where you can go. Um, and so there's a lot of things that are happening around uh, the Kirkbride building, but we have a special event that I hope everyone will mark on their calendars. Um, it is called the Kirkbride Cycle, which will be happening September 6th of this year, 2014, from 12 p.m. until 9 p.m., up on the grounds of the Regional Treatment Center, where we've hired a production company called Place-Based Productions, where they have been coming into the community of Fergus Falls and doing story swaps with people in the community to hear about their stories related to the building, and they are coming up with a play that will happen around the grounds of the building where you can ride a bike, or we will have people movers, as we call them, where you'll move from scene to scene to see this play unfold. And the people who will be in the play as actors or actresses are actual people from the community of Fergus Falls. Um, and with this, I will be creating installations on the outside grounds of the Kirkbride building for these scenes to happen. So I'm really excited with that. And I'm also working with other regional artists who will be doing installations around the building as well. And after uh, the theater performance that we have, we're also going to be having a street dance up there. So it's a great event. Um, we're welcoming everyone um, nationally to come to this event, and it's something that the community is very proud of. For next spring 2015, I will be working on a new series of work um, with that microscope that I talked about earlier in the interview for the Ridgewater College at the Hutchison Gallery. Um, I don't have the specific dates for that, but it'll be in the spring of 2015. So I'm really excited about that to um, actually start making those physical objects and to start looking at those little organisms underneath the microscope. And right now, if you are in the Minneapolis area, you need to go to the McKnight office because RACA, the Rural American Contemporary Art Group that I'm involved in, which is for artists living in rural areas across the United States. We have an exhibition up there right now until July. Uh, the exhibition title is Making Nowhere Into Somewhere, and it was funded generously by the McKnight Foundation. And it is in their Cynthia Binger Boyton Gallery. Um, and the gallery hours are from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. So if you get a chance, go check out the artwork there. Those are just some things that I have um, right now planned out for the next year. Um, but I'm always collaborating and working with artists, and I'm always interested in meeting new artists to do collaborations as well. So I think my next year is going to be pretty full, but I'm really excited about it. And one thing that I wanted to make sure that I talked to you about as well, um, David, is that the Kirkbride cycle um, is very important to our community because we were able to uh, do this project because we received a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, which is the Our Town grant. 
Um, Michelle Anderson, who is the director here in Fergus Falls for Springboard for the Arts in our rural office. We have been working together by doing place-making workshops where we invite artists from the region to take these workshops. And then from those workshops, they're able to come up with a proposal to do a pop-up art exhibition or a pop-up art piece around the community. And with this, we can help give them funding to do these projects and then um, with the Kirkbride cycle happening on September 6th, that is mostly the evolution of where the project has gone and what has happened because we've learned about how much artwork was made and also produced up at the Regional Treatment Center and how prevalent music was um, for the patients up there through therapy of being able to play instruments or being able to paint or draw and they actually had a band up there that was called the Elmer Fick Band. And he was the one that actually got patients involved with using instruments as a type of therapy for them. And it's something that we've been diving into and finding more research about. And with us having the big celebration of the Kirkbride cycle on September 6th, you will see all of the story swaps that we've received from place-based production coming into our community and doing personal interviews and also doing open story swaps at our Ottertail Historical Society as well. So this is a great chance for our community to come together and they've embraced each other as well and to tell their stories and to show their artwork being visual arts, even music, um, and even people doing performance um, based off of the Regional Treatment Center known as the Kirkbride Building right now. Um, so we're really excited about that. And from this project as well, I was able to curate an exhibition um, for artists to submit work based around the Kirkbride Building. And I was just amazed by how many pieces of work um, that was brought to my attention made by patients that actual staff up at the Kirkbride building kept. And these things are living on in people's personal homes. And being able to show this um, at this exhibition site, which was at the spot, um, which is downtown, and with our receptions and closing reception, we had an amazing turnout and so many stories that have been told about this fascinating building. So mark it on your calendar, September 6, 2014, for the Kirkbride cycle. And also you can go to the Imagine Fergus Falls website and you can look up the information and all the projects that we've done this past year. There's so many things to kind of be involved with and to do. And, you know, we were talking about this before. It's really cool to, to see, I don't know, the way the arts impact a community and, and to help bring people together. Because, I mean, I think one of the things that we talked about, too, is especially just that, that disconnect that you can have from the real world. And I, I think it seems like all of the avenues that you're you're exploring really kind of strive for some sort of connection with real people and, you know, to have real conversations and discussions and, you know, to see what we can learn from it and learn about each other. And it's, it's really interesting to, to hear about all these things. And, and again, uh, it's been really great to be able to chat with you about them. I'd really just like to thank you, David, for taking the time to talk to me today and for me to tell my story about who I am and who my community is. Like I said, it's been fascinating, and you know, again, we'll we'll have to have you back on to delve in further. Yes, most definitely. 
if anyone has any other questions or anything um, that they would love to talk to me about or any ideas for collaborations, please contact me. I am open to having conversations via Skype like you and I are doing um, or even face-to-face -to, -face to travel someplace because I love to travel. My uh, personal website is www.naomisleishman.com. And then also Springboard for the Arts is based out of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Um, and you can just Google Springboard for the Arts and you can see our website as well, which has a lot of resources and tools for artists um, to be successful and um, also to learn about certain projects or other possibilities that are out there. Excellent, excellent. So like I said a couple of times now, really a pleasure to talk to you this morning. I really appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank you, David. Thanks once again to Naomi for joining us. Please check out her website, naomischleisman.com, for all the information that she talked about. The Raqqa exhibition at the McKnight Foundation, some of the collaborations that she has coming up. Remember to also check out Springboard for the Arts, the organization that she belongs to for some of their projects, and to stay up to date there. And once again, she extends that open invitation for a collaboration, so send her a message, reach out to her. Speaking of reaching out and finding out more information, you can always check out my website, davidlinaway.com, and see some of the recent paintings that I've been doing. Once again, a lot of different bodies of work up there, but most of it deals with landscape and architecture, so please check it all out there. You'll notice it's hyperlinked on the main page, so it's super easy. Since you're already on the Studio Break homepage, you might as well check out the competition details for 2014. Once again, nine winners total, three different winners in three categories. That's BA, BFA, MA, MFA, and professional artists. Once again, one lucky winner from each of those categories will be selected for their very own solo exhibition. So please apply. And, of course, if you know any artists that would be interested, please share the information. Our juror is the fabulous... Richard Holland of Bad at Sports, the podcast out of Chicago that's heard around the world. Once again, they've got contributors from everywhere, and they cover all sorts of contemporary art. So it's very exciting to have him be our juror this year, and we're very excited to be getting so many great entries. Keep them coming. And once again, please help us by sharing the announcement, letting other people know. We'd really appreciate it. As always, this might be the first time you heard of Studio Break, but we do have other interviews with artists to check out. Once again, if you go to studiobreak.com, you'll see it all goes by blog post and then archive if you want to go through all the old ones you can go through our archive once again each of those posts have images of the artist's work links to their websites and these lengthy interviews where the artist really just lets it fly and tells you where they're coming from so please check them all out once again you can subscribe to the podcast in i in itunes so please do that once again if you want to leave us some comments some feedback there it really helps others that like listening to podcasts find ours so please do that Please remember to follow Studio Break on Facebook. You can like our page where we provide updates from some of the guests that we have coming up, preview them, as well as pass along show announcements and things like that. So please like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break. And if you're an artist out there, please hit us up. Again, it's uh, always nice to go on Twitter and see that somebody sent us a message or something like that. So please share your artwork there as well. You can also follow our Tumblr page, that's studio-break.tumblr. However you use social media, please reach out and say hello. We love hearing from people. 
Last couple announcements. Mara Baker has an opening at 65 Grand this weekend, so go check that out. Our friend Skylar Mail has a new website. He does all the music for Studio Break, so please check out his artwork and music as well. He's in a new band called Gravity Waves, so you can find information on his website. All right, that's our show this week. We really appreciate you listening and getting it out there. We'll talk to you real soon.